Welcome to Spring Creek Church Online. We're so glad that you're joining us today. Today, I want to talk to you about living out our faith in the marketplace. So as we get started, let's pray. God, we just thank you for this day that you have given us, Lord. I just pray for every single person who will be watching, Lord, that you may bless them, Father God, that you may speak right into their hearts, Lord Jesus, that whatever circumstances that they are in, Lord, that they may know that you are with them, that they are not alone, Father, that you hear their every cry, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but so many Sunday nights after having an amazing weekend filled with fun and family and friends, I remember that the next morning is Monday and I have to go to work. And because I think in TikTok, I can immediately hear the song, I don't wanna go to work, I don't wanna go to work. But what if instead of dreading Monday morning, whether in the home or in the office, what if we see it as God sees it? as an opportunity to demonstrate who he is in everything we do, but also an opportunity to see God working through all that we experience and all who we encounter in the workplace. Unfortunately, going to work for some of us is not just a matter of we don't want the weekend fun to stop, but a matter of real turmoil and distress in our lives. Gallup, in its recently released State of the Global Workplace 2022 report, found that 60% of people reported being emotionally detached at work and 19% as being miserable. In the U.S., 50% of workers reported feeling stressed at their jobs on a daily basis, 41% as being worried, 22% as sad, and 18% as angry. 23% of employees worldwide have experienced violence or harassment in the workplace. There were 481 workplace homicides in 2021, up from 392 homicides in 2020. Women report around 30,000 sexual assaults on the job and 60.4 million Americans have been bullied while working. In 2002, one in six people admitted struggling with substance abuse and 20% and, and of U.S. workers admitted to using recreational drugs while working remotely and also to being under the influence during virtual meetings. And now that I think about all those Zoom meetings I attended during the pandemic, I mean, that makes total sense. Even though these statistics are disturbing and heartbreaking, in the midst of all of that, it might be hard to believe that God has a purpose concerning our work. If we really think about it, situations we face at work are just a tiny view of the problems and hardships that people face in their everyday lives that spill over into the nine to five work grind. A long time ago, I was a high school teacher for five years. I, it was one of the most difficult jobs I've ever had. The teaching part was the easy part of the job. I could teach them about business management and entrepreneurship, but it was feeling heartbroken when, when the kids came to school hungry because they had no food at home, when they confessed that one of their parents was serving time, or, or, or when they told me about sexual abuse that was happening in the home, or when they were heartbroken over a breakup and their fragile little hearts just weren't mature enough to experience it. And through all of those life experiences, I needed them just to sit down and focus on my business management exam. Just like those teenagers, life gets messy. And then we go to work where the messiness spills over. According to those statistics, the workplace is full of broken people that need to know God, that need to experience his love and need to know that they are not alone and need to experience what hope in Christ feels like. 
And if you are one of those people who love your work and the workplace, there is still a greater purpose for you being there than just the obvious paycheck and provision for our families and personal fulfillment of doing great work. God gives us Christ followers access to broken people every single day, whether we physically go to work or work remotely, we can and should be the best representatives of who God is. But first, before we can do that, we must recognize our workplaces as our mission field and our personal assignment. It's not just the assignment of people who work in church doing all the ministry stuff. We are all assigned to bring hope to the hopeless. Sometimes we think that, that, that those who do church ministry are the only ones with a calling. But your work is your calling. And before I was Pastor Jessica, I made breakfast sandwiches and served coffee. I was a, com a community organizer in a teen pregnancy prevention program. I was a high school teacher. I was a college professor, a trainer, and I even sold cosmetics. So whether I was working with teens, teaching adults, or applying eyeshadow, I recognize the privilege God has given me to have the opportunity to show this one person in front of me or many people in front of me the love of Christ. Not that it's been easy because some of y'all are just a little rough, okay? But just maybe you are the only God that they can see in a world that, that works hard to distract us from him. It's in your workplace that God has assigned you and me to share his story. You are called by God to do what you specifically do in the workplace. And, and the work that you are doing is very important, no matter the job title. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. According to Andrew Neighbor, an industrial organizational psychologist and data scientist, we will spend 90,000 hours at work over a lifetime, which is equivalent to almost 10 and a half years. In contrast, we only spend an average of, of 368 days spending time with friends uh, in our lifetime. And some of us will spend more time at work than with our own families. And some of you might be thinking, uh, you, Jessica, you don't know where I work and, and you don't know how dysfunctional my workplace is. And how can I believe that there's a purpose for me there, even though all I can think about is how much I hate it and how much I want to leave? There is a purpose and there's no better person to model that for us than Daniel in the Bible, who worked and served uh, in the epitome of a hostile work environment. You see, when Daniel was a teenager, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon besieged his home, the city of Jerusalem, where the Israelites lived. To ensure that the Jews remained under control, they took hostages who were very valuable being part of nobility and royalty. These hostages were the best of the best. According to Daniel 1.4, these young men had to be without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to, to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Of all of the hostages, they took a teenager named Daniel and three of his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and, and they were believed to be between the ages of 13 to 19. But Daniel was most likely the youngest, probably between the ages of 13 and 14 years old. 
So here we have young, impressionable middle schoolers who were about 800 miles away from home, forced to live in a foreign culture with no family, who, who, who will be trained to be something completely different than who they were raised to be. But why would King Nebuchadnezzar take the young, the best, and the brightest? Well, the answer is leverage because it's hard to govern all that new territory from so far away. They decided to take the children of the royalty in Jerusalem to make sure the Israelites remained obedient to their new leadership. These 13-year-olds were about to be put through an intensive three-year indoctrination to prepare them to work in service to the king. The goal was to change their thinking from thinking like a Jew to thinking like a Babylonian. Taking the youngest and the brightest would allow them to be brainwashed, rebranded, retaught, retrained to follow the Babylonian ways and culture with faithfulness. Their names were changed from Hebrew names that glorified the true God of Israel to the names that glorified Babylonian pagan gods. Basically, they wanted them to deny their God and worship the Babylonian pagan gods in hopes that the young Jewish boys would be model Babylonian leaders who could influence the Israelites. By changing their names, they were trying to dismember, disfigure, and butcher their God-given identity. But isn't that what the enemy wants? He wants us to be identified by our sin, by our illnesses, by what we eat, our hobbies, our occupation, our marital status, our political beliefs, and not by who God tells us who we are. You see, there is a difference between I have an addiction and I'm an addict. Because really what you're saying is really who you are is that you are a child of the Most High King. There is a difference between struggling with fear and being fearful. Because my father says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There is a difference in, 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 in saying I'm a teacher and saying I'm a child of God who has been called to bring hope into the lives of young people. If there was any model of a toxic workplace, it would be Babylon. But Daniel and his friends remained faithful in, in this challenging situation and didn't publicly protest or display their unhappiness. Another part of their indoctrination was assigning them food that the king ate as to maintain an appearance appropriate for the Babylonians. The Bible says in Daniel 1 verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defy himself with the royal food and wine, and he was asked, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. The Israelites were known to eat foods that were considered clean by, by food laws according to Leviticus 11. Israel's diet was a physical representation of their distinction, their separation as God's people. They ate clean animals as a sign that they were clean or worthy to be in God's presence. And, and, and the other nations, not Israel, ate unclean animals as a sign that they were unclean or unworthy to be in God's presence. They were God's chosen people eating God's chosen food. And symbolically, the point was, you are what you eat. But not eating the food given to them could have been political as well. Either way, 
the Bible says, but Daniel resolved not to divide, not to defile himself, meaning he was firm in his purpose and intent. He was determined. He decided he fixed on intention and was committed not to make himself unclean or desecrate himself. But he was, he was also resolved to be faithful to God. He was resolved not to lose his identity that is founded in God, the father. He resolved in representing his God in everything that he did. He resolved that he would survive knowing that God was with him. He resolved that God would be glorified through this hostile situation and environment. And in the same way, when we find ourselves dealing with difficult situations where our faith is being tested in the workplace, where we are being challenged to compromise our belief in Christ, we must be resolved in knowing that no matter what, we will represent the character of Christ. We will not let go of God and what we believe. What Daniel shows us is that when placed in a position that we are unwilling to compromise on, there can be success when God is in control. For three years, Daniel was taught the language and the literature of Babylon, including astrology, studying the insides of animals, rites of purification, sacrifice, incantation, and other forms of magic. You see, even though these were not the things that Daniel wanted to do, Daniel didn't rebel. He didn't disengage from his training, even though it was in direct contrast to his belief in God. The Bible doesn't say that Daniel and his friends refused to learn. In contrast, Daniel and his friends excelled in their studies and, and were judged as superior to all the others around them. The Bible says in Daniel 1 uh, verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When, when the training period was completed, King Nebuchadnezzar talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He found them 10 times more capable than any of the astrologers in any matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment. So instead of weakening Daniel's beliefs with the Babylonian indoctrination, Daniel's beliefs became stronger by having his beliefs challenged. Even in the midst of this hostile work environment, Daniel and his friends thrived. I'm sure in the middle of this, of this Daniel and his friends were questioning their purpose. For right now, they could impact the people in their circle of influence, but at that moment, they could have never imagined the greater impact they would have in the big picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Often we can't see the greater purpose God has for us in the marketplace. Maybe we can see the impact on the individuals we encounter, but there are ways that we can impact people that we will never know about. In Daniel chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled his spirit and kept him from sleeping. The Babylonian dream interpretation protocol was, was to summon the magicians, encanters, sorcerers, and astrologers tell, to uh, tell, them that, tell them the dream, and then they would research the dream in their dream commentaries to determine its meaning. That was their protocol. King Nebuchadnezzar calls all the, the magicians, all the encanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to be summoned. But instead of telling them to dream, he wants them to tell him what he dreamed and the interpretation of the dream. Then in Daniel chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, he threatened them by saying, I am serious about this. 
If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn from limb to limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. We have no idea why the king makes this demand uh, that was totally against their protocol. As a matter of fact, just by him saying this, I mean, hello, no pressure whatsoever, right? But the Babylonian uh, wise men make it clear that according to the Babylonian worldview, what he asks is just simply impossible. They responded to the king in Daniel chapter two, verses 10 and 11. No one on earth can tell the king his dream and no king, however great and powerful has ever asked such a thing of any magician, encanter or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream and they do not live here among the people. Well, after their response, the king was so furious that he demanded and made a decree that all the wise men be uh, that all the wise men would be killed, including Daniel and his friends. Well, when Daniel finds out, just like a true wise man, he responds with patience and politeness, according to Proverbs fourteen, uh, verse twenty-nine. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. He asked the king's guard, Arioch, who, who is in charge of carrying out this decree, why is this decree so urgent? Well, Arioch tells him what happened with the astrologers. And Daniel requests to schedule a time to go and see King Nebuchadnezzar to tell him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. He does not panic, but asks for time, which Arioch grants him. Daniel doesn't rely on the Babylonian training in dream interpretation, but he turns to the only person who can tell him the dream, and that's God. Daniel recruits his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to pray with him all night long to seek God on the mystery of that dream so that they and the rest of the wise men wouldn't be destroyed. Then in a vision at night, the dream and its interpretation have been revealed to Daniel. What is impossible for man is possible for God. His resolve to hold on to his identity in God is in full action right now. He knows that his education and training can't solve this particular problem. True wisdom comes from God and all those who fear God and turn to him will be wise themselves. In that same wisdom, the first thing they did was praise God for the answered prayer. Daniel 2 verse, verse 25 says, Arioch, the king's guard, quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have, found the, I have found one of the captains from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of this dream. Now, I find it interesting that they changed Daniel's name to, to Belteshazzar, who was schooled for three years in Babylonian culture, customs, and traditions. But yet they still call him one of the captives from Judah. You see, they could change his name. They could change his clothes. They could try to indoctrinate him. They could try to rebrand him. And they tried to change his allegiance to their gods. But they couldn't change his heart and obedience for the one and only true God. Because Daniel resolved not to defy himself and he resolved to be faithful to God. He knows he lives in this world, but he knows that he is not of this world. His citizenship is not here. His citizenship is in heaven. They couldn't change his willingness to be used by God in the middle of his captivity. 
Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, no wise man, encanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Verse 30, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I, I have greater wisdom than anybody else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. The Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Uh, Daniel chapter two, verse 47 says, the king said to Daniel, truly, your God is the greatest of all gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Daniel was promoted to ruler over all the province of Babylon and placed in charge of all the wise men and his friends were promoted to manage the affairs over Babylon. Daniel's faithfulness to God included submitting to those in authority and serving humbly through his captivity. Daniel teaches us that we don't have to be where we want to be to do the work that God sends us there to do. I, I want to say that again for, for you guys at home so that we could fully understand this statement. He teaches us that we don't have to be where we want to be to do the work that God sent us there to do. He teaches us to work with excellence. He teaches us that, that, that we develop our skills and abilities for the glory of God in the workplace. He teaches us that we must seek wisdom from God in decision-making and problem-solving. Daniel lives his life according to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 that says, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of of crooked and perverse people. Though that day, Daniel's faithfulness to God resulted in saving his life, his friends' lives, and saving the lives of all the wise men, his faithfulness to God had greater implications than he could have ever imagined. Our resolve to hold on to our faith in the workplace could have greater implications than we can ever imagine. Because of Daniel's demonstrated faithfulness to God in the workplace, he was promoted to chief over the the magicians, encanters, and astrologers, also known as the Magi. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Scholars believe that that these Magi were Persians from Babylon, the same Babylon where Daniel was the chief of the Magi almost 600 years before. The Magi came to know about the the Jewish prophecy of the newborn king because Daniel taught them about the prophecies in Isaiah and because he was their leader, they would have studied the prophecies of Daniel as well. Did Daniel know that there was a greater purpose for him in in his workplace? Absolutely not. Can you imagine that your faithfulness today at work would affect generations to come 600 years in the future? Instead of King Nebuchadnezzar indoctrinating Daniel and his friends with Babylonian culture and traditions, Daniel was teaching the wise men of that time with the word of God. 
Daniel was perfectly positioned to prepare the way for the birth of Christ. You are perfectly positioned to share his story and your faith in the marketplace. Daniel teaches us the importance of walking in wisdom and letting our lives speak louder than our words. When we go to work, let's not talk about the joy of the Lord. Let's walk in the joy of the Lord. Let's not talk about humility. Let's be humble. Let's not talk about how the truth will set you free. Let's walk in his truth. Let's not talk about how God's love. Let's not talk about God's love. Let's demonstrate God's love. Sharing the gospel at work doesn't have to be overwhelming. It's simply living our lives with faith, excellence, and integrity, and recognizing God's purpose for us at work. By doing so, opportunities for ministry will arise. Then we'll be the light of the world. And just like a city on a hill, our light cannot and should not be hidden in our workplaces. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this day that you have given us, Father God. I I just pray for every person that's watching this, Lord, that they would know that there's a purpose, Father, for them in the places that you have specifically placed them in their jobs, Lord Jesus, that there are broken people everywhere, Lord, opportunities, Lord, to be a blessing to someone, Father God, to show them uh, your love, Lord Jesus, in in, in the middle of whatever circumstances that they're going through, Father God. Maybe they've never experienced true love, Lord, but that is an opportunity for us, Father, to demonstrate who you really are. We thank you, Lord, for our places of work, where you have placed us, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father God, because it is not just for provision, Lord Jesus, but it is uh, to to bless, Lord, and and, and to bless those who are broken and, and that need to hear more of you, Father. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in Jesus's name. Amen. Guys, I want to thank you for joining us today. If you have not checked out our new online campus, be sure to do that by going to springfreechurch.org and clicking visit us online. Guys, we will see you next week.